1: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Who's the Is that? That's the second
2: time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those,
1: The second captain's world service.
2: It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade there's a world outside of that. That's why sport's
1: important.
3: Hi there everyone, it's Owen here from the Second Captain's Podcast. We put out a show today for our World Service members... About the issue of violence and harassment towards women Which has been dominating the national conversation for the last week It's obviously an incredibly broad subject But I thought our two guests, Sinead O'Carroll and Louise Crowley Were really, really good at getting into specifics on this Particularly around the types of action men can take If we want to help make our society a safer place for women It's the sort of stuff that should really be heard by as many people as possible So that's why we're making today's episode available to all of you now Thanks as always to our members who make it possible to have this kind of conversation in the first place Here's the episode as it went out on the World Service's Morning. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you?
1: Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the (sighs) team. Second captain, first captain, whatever.
3: It's been almost a week now since the news came through that a young woman was murdered while out for a run after finishing up her teaching job for the day in Tullamore. That time has been filled with tributes to Ashling Murphy, whose funeral took place on Tuesday, vigils held around the country in her memory, and more broadly a sort of national reckoning with how we as a society view the harassment of women and violence towards women. That's a conversation we're going to get into on today's Second Captain's podcast. Hi, Murph. Hey, how's it going? Hi, Ken. How are you getting on? Owen, how are you? Our guests on this one are Sinead O'Carroll, who needs no introduction to any of you World Service members, but I'll give her one anyway. She's the editor of the Journal.ie and Professor Louise Crowley, from the School of Law in UCC. Louise is very interesting. She's developed a bystander intervention program, which aims to teach students how to step in when they see or hear about behavior that threatens women or girls. She brought this into UCC. It's been made available nationwide uh, recently, and she's now moving it into secondary schools as well. So I'm hoping we can move the chat on a little by focusing on specific ways this moment in time can be seized. I think there is a general sense now that something needs to change, but, and something needs to come from what's happened. But... I've heard it said in a lot of places, this is a seminal moment, a watershed moment, you know, all those phrases. And we're not actually going to know that for certain until we see what meaningful change comes out of it. That's a longer term issue. What we can say at this point, though, is I think it's the first time a lot of us, and by us, I mean a lot of men have grasped the full scale of what women go through routinely when they're just going about their normal lives i was listening to live line one of the days last week and what struck me most most wasn't that every woman who called up had a story which obviously they did if they were calling it it was that a lot of them had multiple stories of harassment intimidation verbal or physical abuse it was literally you know what one do you want me to choose here this has been happening my whole life you know and i don't i don't want this to sound like I never realised or men never realised that other men acted violently or threateningly towards women. It's just the routine nature of the harassment for a lot of women. And I think the way that even the most low-level acts or comments can also do a lot of damage, That that is something that's clear in my head after the last week anyway.
2: Yeah, and I think that there's certainly something that I've been guilty of is kind of an unconscious minimising, you know, of my wife cycle's, into town and a taxi driver or a driver rolls down the window and shouts something at her and she's maybe more upset than, than I think she should be. And Mm -hmm. then you realize that, you know, she's not shocked by it. You know, she's, she's been, she's waiting for that nearly for that to happen. I think that that's like, that is something that I know myself in my own life. That uh, is something I've learned over the last week is that, you know, we might perceive them as microaggressions or whatever, but when you've, you've been dealing with it for your whole
3: life, it's just it's just something completely different. It's also worth acknowledging here that there are men out there who I think have their backs up about this as well, Ken, it's fair to say.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you could see there was the, the not all men thing was, was trending. Although when you looked at it, you could see that, from what I could see, the vast majority of not all men was people complaining about people supposedly saying not all men. Although I do think that there's also you know you get sort of deleted tweets people say stuff to provoke reaction and then take it down but it did seem as though most of it the fact that it was trending had to do with people saying i can't believe this is trending you know to to some extent but i mean you know there, there's definitely people who i mean people like well this is crazy like why, why am i being attacked how, how is everyone being tarred with the same rush this is you know collective punishment and then these these sort of collective prescriptions and you know, this has to change and that has to change. And is it really a continuum? Is, is there not some discontinuity between a savage act of violence like this and uh, lesser aggressions? You know, I mean, some people can have these kinds of things. And I just I just kind of think it's, it can be quite difficult if you're a man to feel what it's like not to be. You know what I mean? It's like uh, it's it's hard to sometimes mm. just put yourself in a And which is not to say that at all, Men are the same, you know. It's not as though you're never wa- you're walking down the, a dark street thinking, I, I, you know, I feel totally fine with this. I, I don't have to worry about anything. I am a man, you know. I, I don't. I don't think that's necessarily a universal state of blithe confidence either. You know what I mean? Like this, mm. the, the, you you can also sort of experience fear, um, you know, physical fear as a man. But rather than sort of take the hump about this sort of thing, um, I mean one group, one sort of WhatsApp group uh, where, where this sort of came up, it turned out that two of the people in the group had had babysitters murdered when they were kids. Wow. And two young women who had been in, murdered in, in different horrific circumstances in Ireland. And, okay, like, so, you know, something, something's going on here. I mean, it's not like, if, if a lot of people are telling you something you know, if a lot of people are sort of saying something uh, rather than sort of react defensively to this idea of well you know I've never done anything bad and you know I've, I sort of resent the, the being lumped in together with people like the, the person who did this um, or you could be like well maybe there's actually something going on here that that should be considered
3: Alright well listen whatever preconceptions you may or may not be carrying into this conversation hopefully you'll get something out of what you're about to hear from Sinead and Louise here you go is it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. He was about 12, <laughs> everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen him. Look how happy I was, what the fuck happened? No really, what happened? What happened? It is
2: not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade world outside of that. That's why sport's important.
3: The murder of the 23-year-old teacher, musician and camogie player Ashley Murphy in Tullamore last week has opened up a national conversation around the harassment and violence suffered by women at the hands of men in our country. It's been described as a watershed moment, but is that the case? And can we expect things to improve from this point on? I think everybody listening on the World Service will be familiar with Sinead O'Carroll, editor of the journal. Hi, Sinead.
0: Hi there. How are you?
3: Great to chat to you. And we're also joined for this by Louise Crowley, professor at the School of Law in UCC. Louise has introduced a bystander intervention program at the college, which aims to educate students on how to identify and challenge harassment and violence against women. Louise, thanks so much for coming on the show.
4: Thanks, Owen. Thank you for the opportunity.
3: Sinead, this is um, a conversation we've wanted to have for a couple of days. It's been going on nationally now for you know, ever since the the awful tragedy of what happened last week. What have you made of the conversation that's happened, first of all, of how this whole thing has been talked about?
0: Yeah, I think um, for me, it's it has just amplified a conversation and experience, I think, that we have every day anyway. Um, what's different, I think, for women now is that, Particip- the participants in the conversation are different. You know, you have the shock on the late late, you have um, newspaper editors, you've broadcasters like the second captains, you have um, a wider variety of men involved in the conversation, because I think it, there have always been men involved in this conversation when we discuss our safety or our fears or the ways in which we would like our lives to improve, because that's why we talk about feminism. That's why we talk about equality. That's why Louisa set up the, the things that she has set up in colleges. Um, but we don't often have the listenership that we would want in that. And I think this week we got that listen- listenership. And I think the tragedy on top of the tragedy is that this is what it took. <laughs> um, and I know there'll be other families around the country thinking why didn't this happen when my daughter died why didn't this happen when you know my sister died so i think there's there's just tragedy upon tragedy here and i think that is why there's a bit of optimism around this being a watershed moment because the volume is so loud the feelings are so visceral um that it would be very hard to not see the next phases of the conversation that we need to have through the prism of this death, through the prism of, of this anger and and deep, deep, deep hurt. Well,
3: why is it happening now then? Do you think, and if I can, can personalise it to a certain extent, it's not a ranking system here, but did this murder, did what happened to Ashling, impact you in a more visceral way that, than other tragedies over the years?
0: Um. I think there has to be a bit of our own acknowledgement of our biases or what we see as relatable. So we're quite a homogenous society. We have traditionally been a homogenous society. And so I, I do think we should acknowledge that there have been other violent deaths of women, um, maybe who are not white, that maybe we should have had this response to and we didn't. Um, or who weren't as young or the thing that has struck me is that many women who i have you know edited court copy for who have died at the hands of their partners or ex-partners um and that violence we we see as something maybe that if, if your relationship isn't like that, then you don't see that as something that could possibly happen to you. So that fear isn't there. So we don't get that visceral reaction to it, or we don't see it as relatable. Um, actually, interestingly, just to personalize it a bit, when I got the alert, I'm on maternity leave, some of your listeners will know from, from the last day. So I have a seven week old. So I haven't been fully engaged in the news over the last seven weeks. Um, but when I got the news alert on my phone that uh, a woman's body had been found at the canal, I texted my deputy editor and I had said like, my first instinct was, I wonder, was she running? Because if you hear of a young woman dying at a canal, I just thought that that's where where we run, (laughs) you know, you run down paths like that. Um, And so that's what, that became so relatable. Um, I think one of the things about the running aspect of it is, and you guys did the podcast last week about the Ahmed yeah. Arbery case, and one of the things that Mitchell said at the time was that um black people in in America don't have that freedom of movement, and I think over the last couple of decades, women have been taking back power and control of their bodies by moving it more you know the the this women in sport movements movement over the past. I would say even five years has been so significant um, that women have seen their bodies and and using their bodies to move in ways like running, cycling, and running is the most popular way of doing it. It is that kind of taking back control and and expressing that freedom. And I, I do think because she was just going for a run, that really did land with people. Kind of straight away and obviously we've seen a bit of a backlash to that she was just going for a run so that we don't have a you know a ladder of victims that some victims deserve more sympathy or empathy than others but i do think there is space to allow us to express that sentiment because Women for years have been fighting to have that freedom to be allowed run to be allowed run without being harassed to be allowed run without being body shamed to to be allowed run to feel confident in in ourselves um so I do think there is room for that sentiment while not forgetting um or not allowing a hierarchy of victims to to come forward
2: mm it's been described uh louise as a watershed moment. Uh, i think we described it there at the, uh just at the top as that. but does it feel that way for you? what does that actually mean to you?
4: yeah, so Kieran when i first heard about you know the horrific event, um immediately my sense was another dead woman, another woman who's been killed based on her gender. i'm going to have to tweet about this now and say here we go again. is this ever going to end? uh because that has been the cycle of things for the last number of years um and then there's a conversation for a few days and then it it dies very quickly um for me this time i have seen evidence of a different response so uh the program that i run in UCC is available and open to all staff and students uh it's on a voluntary basis so i Get a report every evening at six o'clock as to who is signed up. And some days I don't get any report, and some days there might be two sign-ups on a good day. If we hit eight or nine or even ten, that's a great day. I'll I'll message the team and say, wow, well, we got ten. On Thursday we had 30 sign-ups and 25 of them were men. And yesterday we had 70 sign-ups, um, 29 of them were men. And those aren't huge figures in the greater scheme of things, but for my program based on it was launched in the first week of January in 2019. I've never seen that reaction. I've never seen that number of men. And so I think that there is real validity in the sense that people have that men are realizing their role. For the last four years, I've been delivering workshops, which is the, the in-person supplementary part of the online training. And if there's 10 in the room, typically there are nine women. That would be very common, maybe two men on a good day, uh, because this is a woman's experience. and These are issues that women want to address and they want to understand better. But we know so, so well that the solution can't be also up to women. And I have been giving lectures and conferences on the broader issue of domestic and intimate partner abuse for years. And too often the room is full almost by women. The speakers are almost 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 women. And so I have received uh, you know and i've been inundated by uh, people asking how can they take the training how can they bring it to their workplace how can they bring it to their sports club so ga clubs soccer clubs and rugby clubs have contacted me since wednesday wondering can we create a training program for their teams or for their clubs so i've never seen this response on the ground so i want people to know that it's not just words that this is i sense there's something happening but as important as that is it's equally important that we grasp that momentum because we can't presume that those conversations and those requests will keep coming and if i don't act fast enough and other people don't act fast enough to provide what people need i'm worried that that time will pass so we do need to sustain the conversations but we also need people to know that you can do something about it i did get the sense that there was a a a, a bit of a this is horrific i want to do something but what can I do? And I think that's a question that we really need to focus on and we need to have answers and we need to have ready answers for people who want to take the time, who recognise now, finally, that they have a role to play. They may not, believe they engage in behavior and they very well may not engage in behavior. The majority of people are very respectful and understand what respectful interactions and relationships are, but they can often be witnesses to or in the company of those who may express um, unwanted opinions or act in a lewd or unacceptable way or in much worse ways as well. And we need to enable all of those people to have those conversations, to have that sense of personal responsibility for the type of society that we are growing up in, that our children are growing up in, the type of society that we're living in and the experience of women. And I know from delivering this teaching in person to university students in UCC, that when the male students hear their classmates, their female classmates talking about going out on a Saturday night and the different measures that they take going out, their experiences in the nightclub, the fact that they're typically groped, they expect it to happen, and then the whole trauma of getting home safely. I have seen jaws drop in the classroom, young 18, 19 year old males who are, are, their eyes are opened, but very quickly I see them standing up in solidarity, becoming allies for these women who they know, but they just didn't understand the experience. So I think that if we have an awakening, and I think it's happening, awakening amongst men and boys as to what it's like to be a woman or a girl, Uh, in society and the ways in which they can continue to act well but to support women to be more aware. Awareness is so important. Be aware of what is happening around you and to those around you and then to have that sense of responsibility and of course finally to know how to act and when to act.
3: What exactly then is and that's amazing that's really interesting to hear that's a, that's the first time I've heard of sort of on the ground evidence that that there is a shift that these people are turning up and more men are turning up to um your program what do you attempt to to teach in that can you just in a nutshell tell us what that's about
4: yeah, so briefly, um, the program was transitioned to online in 2019 after two years of in-person pilots simply so we could upscale. So we reached 600 students in the first two years in person. And then by upscaling it to tra- to online, it became available immediately to our 22,000 students and our 2,000 staff. So on the online platform, participants take four modules. It's self-directed and it takes about two hours online. So whilst it is self-directed um, and taken individually, we have built in platforms of uh, discussion boards where you can leave your anonymous views on behavior. So understanding what unacceptable behavior looks like. So what we're trying to do there is, I suppose, in the times we live in, sexualized misconduct has become so normalized in so many ways that, uh, and I hear from the students, that they they kind of expect it and it is To an extent that if you don't recognize it as problematic, you're never going to make an intervention. So we're kind of reawakening them or maybe letting them know for the first time that it's not okay if somebody sends you a piece of a picture of their penis to your phone that you haven't requested. And voila, there it is in front of you. That's sexual harassment. Or if you're in a nightclub and somebody gropes you, that's sexual assault or whatever the case may be, leering out the window, whistling at a woman running. None of this is acceptable. And we need them to know that because unfortunately, certainly with our young people in the university from talking to them, they... They almost don't bat an eyelid when this happens because it's so normalized. So first of all, bringing them right back to kind of 101 what's acceptable behavior. And it's not just those types of everyday hostility and harassment they experience also ensuring that they understand what constitutes sexual assault, what constitutes aggravated sexual assault and rape. Because we know from a, a survey conducted by NUIG and the Union of Students of Ireland in 2020, that a significant percentage of students who were raped whilst in university did not report it because they did not think it was important enough, which is a horrific thing if you think about it, that they did not think that they, when they were violated um, sexually and raped, that they didn't think it was worthy of reporting. Now, there's a lot of complex issues around that but the first is that I think that it's about understanding what these different acts are and how unacceptable they are both in terms of social acceptability but also legally that they are criminal offences so making sure the participants can recognize unacceptable behavior we address things like intervention inhibition Everybody is a bit reluctant to intervene, whether it's a stranger intervention or your friend. So we talk through the reasons why people intervene, fear of physical reaction and and danger, fear of social isolation, and also that pluralistic ignorance piece that they don't recognize it, so they don't intervene. Um, And then we work through the idea that everybody has a role to play. And this is really important in this conversation. So what happened in Tullamore was horrific it was the ultimate form of violence against women and and you know people have given me feedback saying well you know any course in the world that you develop is not going to stop that person from murdering ashley murphy and and i accept that um and the criminal justice system will deal with the perpetrator I, i i truly hope and and that is a whole other conversation about the suitability and the sufficiency of our criminal justice system for violence against women but in terms of um the the role of people generally to contribute to and to cultivate a safer society, we can do something about the everyday sexual harassment and violence that occurs. So we can call out that behavior and we can do so in a way, both individually and collectively, whereby we demand a better type of behavior and we expect a better type of behavior. And those who are engaging in this behavior become The pariahs in society, they become outliers because so many of our voices will call it out. And I'm hoping that so many male voices will call out other males' behaviour to the point that You no longer want to be that guy in the group who thinks he's hilarious. But now is beginning to slowly realize that that Mm. false consensus around the acceptability of his jokes and his behavior, it doesn't exist anymore. And when we can shatter that false consensus, I firmly believe that those perpetrators, except for perhaps the more extreme perpetrators, are going to be nudged into better behavior simply because they do not want to be the outlier and their eyes are being opened to the
0: unacceptability. And the peer rejection is critical and will be vital in, in, in pursuing this. That seems to be the expedited response from this week that, um, and I think even the Taoiseach said this on Friday night, you know, we've actually all collectively decided we're living in a society we don't want to live in, mm. you know, that parents have said we're living in a society that I want to bring up my boys and girls differently than What the generation before them was brought up in, because I don't want this to be acceptable. So I think we've, we've really seen a seismic movement in a week in what probably we've been calling for for a long, long time. We needed, we needed a mass movement around it to actually make it. I guess get that understanding. I think there's a a a much greater understanding now of that spectrum of you know women aren't fearful women don't necessarily think that we're going to be murdered every time we walk out the door but there's a spectrum of fear because of the spectrum of behavior so you you are you you can be afraid of that absolute worst moment because of all the incremental things that happen uh and i think there's a a much greater understanding now but we just can't let it die down like we can't let it go away like this you know in a in a few months time if we're talking about how our local politicians are being elected next time out, whenever they are, it's in a couple of years, and we're talking about gender quotas. Will a lot of the, the, the men who are saying, you know, the right things this week, will then they be against gender quotas because they don't realise it's all part of the same conversation. It's all part of how women are represented, how we push towards equality, how we um, make sure that there is parity of esteem and of everything that we do uh, between men and women. So, um, you know, you don't want to be talking about, you know, murder and death every single time but you do need to remember these this this is why these things are important this is why it's important um that we have equality of representation and um in every aspect of our lives
3: Sinead I'm just wary of going of almost of putting too positive a spin on how men have reacted and how we all better understand the situation for women now i think it's true to an extent but at the same time you only need to go online to understand that some men don't necessarily feel that way and you know i heard there was a very good discussion on off the ball last week uh i, I noted when nathan who was presenting uh mentioned the texts that were coming in he said the majority at the time were that you know well this is one bad man who did one terribly bad thing and now we're casting aspersions on all men so i'm i'm not sure i'm not sure that that everybody does necessarily understand the gravity of what we're talking about or understand the links between the different strands of this.
0: Yeah. And I think probably where I'm coming with a bit more optimism is that they're, at least they're listening to the conversation and they're being told, like, and they're being told by other men, like, you know, things that are generally listened to by more men are presented by men. Like I think the the conversation I think probably what is the biggest pity over the last week is that there is still kind of sides, you know, you will get that men versus women aspect particularly on social media, maybe less in real life. I haven't had that many real life conversations with people about it. Um but I think At the moment, the way we are set up with social media and with uh, traditional media as well, there are often sides to things. You know, there are often people who will say, you, you know, you're talking about this, that it's we're casting aspersions on men. I don't think I'm casting aspersions on men. I'm casting aspersions on society. That includes women. You know, we... There will be p- women in power who have the ability to change things as well. Like, look at what Louise is doing; she's grabbing, you know, her her power and and, and shifting things where she can shift things. Um, I think that the op-
4: you know, the, the the optimism that we're that we're speaking to is also comes from a place of hope. If I was too perfectly honest, but I do think that the optimism is tempered certainly by the the kickback that is there in social media. I did an op-ed on the Irish Times this morning. And uh, you want to see some of the comments. I stopped after about 60 um, because there is a strong voice out there and they're very vocal um, that uh, this was, as you said, one man and uh, uh, nothing to do with me. And I was told to take my feminism and take it somewhere else and all of the usual stuff that you'd expect. But I suppose um, there's a couple of things that I think it's important to recognise here. In the first place, whilst there are very few, thankfully, men who will go out and murder a woman at four o'clock on a canal, I would... I would challenge any man to say he hasn't been party to a conversation or witness or heard a joke or seen something in the WhatsApp group, heard something in the changing rooms or on the soccer pitch or wherever. I challenge them to tell me they've never heard something. So I do think that every man has been a party in some form, whether as a bystander or as a participant in sexual harassment or hostility, wherever you want to put it on the spectrum. So that's the first thing I want to say. So that's why I think it's really important that as much as we need to grieve for Aisling Murphy and recognize how horrific the offense was, actually, most of our target audience are engaged in behavior at the other end of the spectrum, which still involves unacceptable behavior, but at a different level that is relatable for men. And if for them to say that it isn't, I don't accept that. But I also think that we need to, to let men know, and I think they're starting to hear this, that they have the power to, in a very non-confrontational, non-aggressive way, to have those conversations and to challenge the language. And this is what's really important with the the final element of our training with Bystander is about how to make an intervention when you know verbally, non-verbally, before something happens, when you see red flags in in, in the in the course of the playing out. And also of course, really importantly, uh, an intervention where someone makes a disclosure to you that something has happened and they need your support or where you make an intervention with your friend, say the morning after an, an unacceptable incident has happened and you're all sober and you can have that reasoned conversation. And it's really important when we teach the intervention skills, the participants are always amazed that we don't start with, when well, you go in with your fists or you do whatever, because people have a perception that to confront these issues is an an act of aggression, that it has to be a confrontation if you make an intervention in relation to sexual harassment and violence. Most interventions are subtle and they're nuanced. It can be removing somebody from what could turn into a dangerous situation. So it could be your friend. You're in a nightclub. There's an uncomfortable situation. You say, you know what? It's not worth staying here. Let's go next door. Let's go home. Let's go for a bite to eat, whatever. And that's just simply removing your friend. Now, that's not ideal because you're stopping your own enjoyment because of something that's happened. But sometimes that's the safest intervention. Equally, it could be your friend. You know, starting to act ridiculous, uh, and you can see it happening, and you can see the trouble coming, and you say, "Come on, let's go grab some pizza." You know, so those are small things. I mean, I would like to think that after you've gone for the pizza, you can have a conversation and say, "This is the way you're behaving lately." You know, we're getting into a lot of trouble in nightclubs. The bouncers have you spotted, or, or you know, or don't you can't speak to somebody like that. You know, it's not acceptable. To, I, I I I'm very uncomfortable. You need to stop doing that. We're all very uncomfortable in the group. You know that those types of interventions are not acts of aggression or confrontation, but they can be hugely important. Similarly with the stranger situation, you know, if you if you see there's a girl on the street, you don't know her, but she's in difficulty either in company or she's being someone's in her space, you know, you can go over Hi Mary, how are you? I haven't seen you in ages or, or, or what time is it? Could you tell me where, how to get to Patrick Street? You know, these types of subtle interventions can be hugely effective and can just literally stop something from carrying on and it might seem like very little to you making the intervention but it could prevent a significant trauma. You don't know for sure, but certainly... There, if there's, there's
3: obviously a, a fear, yeah, the, the- there's a couple of fears there, Louise, I think, yeah. for men, right? One of them is just the awkwardness of the interactions around uh with people you know, you know, or people you might be on a WhatsApp group with, or it might be an extended WhatsApp group where they're not your close friends and you see something. And I appreciate it's just something we have to get over, I guess. We just have to call it out. You know, my own, I'm not particularly confrontational. I think my own natural inclination would be to, ignore that not engage with that whatsapp group for a long time and yeah. you know maybe then come I back to it, at, at, it. At, at a safer time for me i know i know that's not great the other one is just uh, in the in the real world um examples there you give there's the the fear of being physically assaulted as a man as well uh, that that we need to recognize in a situation mm-hmm. like that and that'd be something that would be crossing my mind if and when i saw something like that
4: well so what we talk about in our workshops about those two issues that you two examples you've given i mean there is one central answer to that and that is the word allies so if there is a a big group of whatsapp and you know some fellas saying whatever he's saying or whatever he's been doing. In my my sense there would be to speak to one of your friends in the group and say, you know, did you see what Johnny is saying and I'm very uncomfortable with this. And, you know, it can be a case of a group of you coming together and maybe having a chat with him as a group rather than individually or whatever strategy you might have. And also in relation to, and this is very important because I'm not telling anybody to go out and be a vigilante or be a hero in a situation where they might put themselves in danger. You know, at the start of every one of our modules both online and in person the first message is the golden rule is that you make a safe intervention and if an intervention mm-hmm. isn't safe well then it's not an intervention you should make and so if I was in a nightclub um, and I thought there was a gang of guys causing trouble and it's just little old me and I'm not physically able to deal with a physical confrontation well then I go get the bouncer or I go get the barman or if I'm out in the street I see if I can find a guard if I'm in a university I find my lecturer I find somebody so the safest intervention may in fact be finding someone else to make the intervention or making them aware of the situation. There is no rule book here. It is about being safe, but it is also being aware of your capacity to do something and to do the safest thing. And I suppose in the course of our, it's hard to cover it here, but in the course of our training, we not only go through different timings and forms of interventions, but we also have an in-person workshop where we go through fictional scenarios, but based on you know people's real life experience and what in the scenario do you find problematic? So identifying the troublesome behavior and then what would you do about it one really good example is you are you're on a bus and there's a group of lads they're obviously some kind of a sports team are on the back of the bus they have obviously have drink taken they're all singing and leering and yelling and everything and there's another woman on the bus and they start calling out to her and they say oh you're a fine bit of stuff come up here to us love and all of that and you know you're another woman or a man on the bus what do you do and it gives rise to incredible conversations, which in itself is really valuable because you have that peer learning amongst our participants. And some people say, um, oh, I would go up to the bus driver. Other people say, oh, I would go down and tell him to cop on. And I say, really? All by yourself? You know, just teasing out what would happen. And then someone always says, which I love, is I would go and I would sit next to the woman. So, you know, an intervention in that example could take many forms, but depending on how you feel yourself and the danger in the situation, standing in solidarity with the victim can be hugely powerful um, so that they know that they're seen and they know that you see what's happening and you're there with them. So you may never speak to anybody, but that act in itself can be really useful. So it's just understanding the range of possibilities, um, developing the awareness of what's happening around you and really feeling that as a member of society, even though you're only a bystander and have no involvement directly, that actually if you if you let it happen and if it's your friend, for example, and you don't say anything, well, I don't think it's too much to say that you're kind of part of the problem because you're not calling it out. So you're giving some kind of implicit permission implicit, I mean, not actual permission, but you're letting it happen and you're not objecting to it, suggesting certainly in their mind, and that's what's crucial in their mind that this is okay for us to live in a society like this. So, you know, that's that's my message that we just need to recognize that we all have a role to play, men and women. Um, We all have a role to play. We all witness things um, and and can be successful pro-social bystanders.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've been thinking a bit about just that idea of, The instinctive reaction of many men is this isn't you know you can't say that that this is on the the same spectrum as um uh, as a woman getting murdered in broad daylight or whatever and as a result kind of having their back up you know even going into conversations like this you know and i think for a lot of people say i'm 40 this year i'd say for a lot of people around my age they feel like that the, the culture has changed so much in the 22 years since you did your leaving cert that you feel that, you know, that that we would all have seen stuff that we realised then, maybe, but certainly now as being really, like, troublesome uh, and troubling behaviour in nightclubs and, you know, just in society generally, that as a result, maybe the first thing you do is a really defensive reaction, which is to say listen, I've done nothing wrong here. Why are you making me feel bad about something that I don't believe I've contributed to? And so instead of people just, you know, resting on it and listening, the first reaction is, I don't feel like I've done something wrong here, Sinead, but it feels like being I'm being accused. Therefore, I'm just going to shut myself off from the entire conversation yeah and that's it
0: i was going to say that kieran because like when you're saying there there's things uh, that we've all witnessed over the last whatever two decades of our lives or you know maybe even participated in a little bit or being you know given permission or laughed at something that now you would never laugh at so maybe you thinking well i can't really intervene because like i'm not perfect they could talk about that thing that happened six years ago but i think um we have to get to a point now where are saying okay from like society has got to a point now that we want this to be different so own if something does happen in your whatsapp i think that whatsapp example is really powerful because i'm sure every lad in the country has had a message in a whatsapp group that they haven't responded Mm. to they don't particularly want to be in that group at that time they'd hate a screenshot to come out about it so like what kind of messages do you say to each other could would feel safe not to um not too judgmental or you are judging them but you're not you know you're not trying to cancel them from your life (laughs) like you're just saying that's not the kind of message i want to see or like i'll lads i'll have to leave the group if we're if we're going to be on about that it can be something like jesus screenshot of that will get me fired you know like i've used that before in a couple of my whatsapp groups if something if something goes in that like i don't like you know so is there a way that we can come up with some of these kind of uh, messages to each
2: other. Yeah, and Louise's idea there, like I found, uh, say in WhatsApps like th- uh, WhatsApp groups like that, that I'm sitting here thinking that's completely inappropriate. And then there's also an excellent chance that there's ninety percent of the group thinking the exact same thing, and yet no one says anything. And so yeah, therefore so, you're yeah. you're dealing with one person saying a message, maybe two other people agreeing with it, and twenty people thinking this is awful, and yet and nobody says, nobody anything, says anything, and then it yeah.
0: repeats. And then it repeats again. And then those attitudes can come into the real world. So one of the things that I was thinking about before coming on today is like, you know, I can understand. And Justine McCarthy wrote about this at the weekend as well. I can understand that some men probably do feel a bit exasperated, but like, being like so maybe not quite defensive maybe they are just really good to really good things in their lives don't feel like that they can do any more. but maybe look at some of the real world things that they're um involved in so my example is sport because you know your listeners will have heard me talk about this endless times but you know are the spaces that you play sport in right now are they as respectful towards women as they are towards men is that something that you could focus on and have a look at and you don't you know you don't don't need to sign up to coach a camogie team but like are you are you a member of a ga club that has female members do they have equality of treatment in your ga club are you a one club which means that You know there should be equality of treatment across the board. If you're not a one club, why don't you inquire about why you aren't a one club? A one club means that you know, uh, if a girl joins, it doesn't matter if it's Camogie or Ladies Football, even though they're separate organisations, you still join the club. You have, you should have the same um access to dressing rooms, to pitches. You should have the same um level of treatment. So maybe if you're not a one club ask around why isn't that the case? Can you make your club a one club? If you are a one club but it's not, not actually working that say the under 12 girls don't get the same access um to the the main pitches, they don't get dressing rooms, maybe they get less money spent on them, they don't have the same coaching expertise. Um ask about these things and if it's not happening why isn't it happening? Because if you think about it, if the under 12 boy is getting, you know, uh, a different treatment to the under 12 girl in your club. That's telling that under 12 boy that what he's doing is of more value. So that the football and the hurling that he is doing is of more value than the under 12 girl. Now, and if you think about it in the in in the way that we've been talking this week, that's a 12 year old boy learning from that age that what he does, that what he loves is much more important than the exact same person who just happens to be a female is doing. So that's a powerful message that's been taught to our boys and our girls. But if you take it from the boy's perspective, that's a really powerful lesson being taught to him from the get go, from the the absolute start of their relationship with girls, with sport. And this might be a boy who goes to a single sex school. So the only time he sees girls is when he goes down to the club. So, you know, this there's little building blocks that we can think about and and take action on so you know this it can be about taking on your peers but it can be about looking at what's happening in your life and seeing like okay are are the spaces that I exist in and I live in are they doing as much for women as they're doing for men yeah. and if not what can I do to change that
4: and those messages permeate all of society I absolutely agree with you um Sinead I'm in a one club and it changed about two years ago and it was a game changer and one of the motivations behind it was that the girls were paying for the use of the hall and the boys weren't and it was just horrific and there was a realisation and so we are now one club and it is it is demonstrable the change and you can feel it up there and it is so respectful and it is so positive. And, and so I would completely endorse what you're saying. If I could pick up on a couple of things, I, I want to support what you said, Kiran about that WhatsApp group and everybody else feeling a bit uncomfortable. We've done research on this with our students in UCC, and it's about using social norm questionnaires. And we ask them questions like if you were at a party and someone, a stranger, someone you didn't know, you saw them being brought upstairs by a couple of lads, What would you would you do you think you'd intervene? And thankfully, a huge percentage say yes, they would. Do you think your friends would intervene? Big dip. And across all the questions. So it might be 90% said, yeah, I think I would intervene. About 60, 70% think their friends might. Now, different examples of different types of behavior. That would be kind of more on the extreme end. And it reflects um international research in this area, which shows that people believe, you know, that they know they own have their own sense of what's right and what's wrong, and they believe that they would intervene, but they're not so sure. They think that maybe they're a bit more conservative than others, they're a bit more shocked by behavior and that actually the gang seem a bit cooler about it and less disgusted. But what we know, because we give the students back their own feedback, that they realize that actually they're surrounded almost entirely by like-minded people. They just doubt the other people around them and that they're feeling the same way. So that's why approaching other people in that WhatsApp group saying, or, you know, or even if you're brave enough to say, to put out into the group, you know, don't send this on this group, it's not acceptable language. I can tell you that it's very likely and particularly and this is why I think everybody should take bystander intervention training because people will know straight away what you're doing and they will also value the importance of rowing in behind you and it's the toughest thing is to be the first person to speak up but by developing within a community so we deliver it in UCC I'm developing a pilot for the same local GA club I'm working with the sports the soccer club in UCC who I'll tell you about a great initiative I had a call today that they wanted to propose something for the sports field um, that if you, if you train the group the club the team the class, the, the the program in a particular um, discipline in UCC. Well, then everybody in the room is taking the training, and they see what you're doing when you speak up, and that emboldens and makes it easier for people to speak up. Um, in relation to sports, I think that that is such an important platform for us, um, because of the importance of that bond in a team, but also the capacity for you know toxic elements to develop and to be. To be forgiven in the in the context of that of that environment. I had a call today from the the head of the soccer club uh, soccer team in UCC, and he asked me would it be possible to get their bibs uh, um, personalised with bystander messages. One message, a different message on thirty different bibs, and that every week at training they would wear a different bib and they would carry the message for the training session. And that the language and the recognition of the issues and the importance of respect and speaking out and supporting and being an ally would be visible visible on the pitch for all of the players which i thought was such a simple but brilliant idea because i think we need to come at this from lots of angles and we need to give people the opportunity to voice their concern to also have the language to know how to speak up and how to intervene and also know that this is a shared conversation so we need to be imaginative and we need to bring give people the opportunity to get the learning and to enable themselves to have the skills and also to have that that desire to be a part of the difference. So to speak to all of those men who quite rightly may say, I, I have never attacked a woman. I like to think I treat women with respect. You know, We're not saying you have, but we're saying you can be positive in this conversation. So we're not demonizing men and we're not saying all men are doing this. What we're saying is all men can make this better. And I think that mm-hmm. I would encourage men to see the positive side of this, that we are, we as a society are now recognizing that we can all contribute to make this easier and safer for women and for girls. So this is a positive thing. We are encouraging all men and men are choosing. They don't need necessarily to be encouraged, but we are having the conversation and saying, you know, you, you're you you're involved in this, you're a man, you're, you know, you're 50% of the population and you can make the difference here. So step in and be the positive voice in those conversations.
3: Yeah, sport's an interesting one, Sinead, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> you've had this kind of conversation probably more than once over the years and we know of one senior, well-known senior inter-county footballer who was scheduled to appear in a program this week to talk about some of these topics, to be a male voice with a bit of sway. And his appearance was pulled by the county team's management. So oh wow, it's it's difficult if that's the kind of decision making that is still in play, that these are topics that maybe sports people shouldn't be straying into. And yet
4: they are such role models. You know, they play
0: such an integral role in leadership. That's
3: yeah. That's my point. I, I really think yeah. that that the male sports people, not just male sports people, just just men in general, speaking up would make a huge difference.
0: That's just a really disappointing like story. That like that someone who was going to speak up has been told not to. Um, you know the. The GA is a powerful organization. You know, Ashling was part of it. She was a, a camogie player. So for someone to, to not be allowed to speak up about something that has been the conversation in the wake of that seems very short-sighted and obviously part of the the anti media stuff that some GA teams have, it might go any deeper than that. But yeah. um, it's that kind of stuff that maybe um, that could be the first fight for that person to have. Like, you know, you know I'm going to go do it and right, drop me if you want. <laughs> you know, le- let's see how you do without me. You know, I'm not, not that person won't obviously have to do that. But, you yeah. know, th- these are the small fights that we can have and these are the small wins that we can have. Um, you know, that male sporting environments aren't seen as toxic anymore. And I think that, that, um is an important change that has to happen with education from a young age and and I do think um that like I mentioned it briefly there but we do have a huge proportion of single sex schools um in Ireland and um, when that's added on top of, you know, uh, having maybe very male dominated sporting spaces, um, I think as people who are parents or educators in those settings need to be cognizant that these are very male settings and how do we make sure that we they make them positive settings. So there should be a lot of um, positive work like Louise is talking about in those settings, and um, particularly if there is young men in, and young boys who won't have a lot of interaction with women, because how will they learn that respect? How will they mm-hmm. recognise that respect? How, you know, the, if they don't see it, how how will they 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 be it? So I think, um, that is something probably quite unique to Ireland because we do have a huge proportion of single sex schools that other countries don't. I think Should it I was s- in Malta.
3: Yeah, segregated schools are mad when you think about it, aren't they? I mean, this <laughs> is. The- Absolutely. This is the yeah. absolutely prime time for boys and girls to work out how to not even to work out, just to naturally do it, so that they don't have to be having as many programs when they're at nineteen twenty to figure it out. It's all it, there for you exactly. If, if you bring it, yes. it together at a younger at a younger sort of age,
2: like it's it strikes me as being bizarre that that you're doing it at a third level and getting like so many you know dropped jaws. Uh, at, when, uh, at what you say when you know we obviously have we have richie sadder on the show quite a bit and he's a module yeah. that he wants to get onto the the second level curriculum as well um and more than just an occasional yeah. kind of eight week in transition year kind of thing but an actual thing that's a like a fundamental part of the entire secondary school curriculum but i mean it seems to me that you know as a society the first thing we have to wrestle with here is the fact that single-sex schools are you know, they're they're just a completely outmoded uh, idea in the twenty first century.
4: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I'm developing a pilot of the bystander program for second level schools at the moment, and I'm dealing with all male schools, all female schools, and mixed gender schools, and bringing it into the single gender schools, particularly the male schools. It's challenging because I have to make it work in a way that they can hear the female experience without them feeling that I'm lecturing to them about Mm -hmm. what they shouldn't be doing. Now, the joy of the bystander approach, of course, is that I'm not going and telling people how to behave, I'm telling people how to, I'm, I'm encouraging people to respond to unacceptable behavior. So in the teaching, the unacceptable behavior is happening, uh, you know, somewhere, and they're they're learning to be the person to step in, to recognize it, and to make the world a better place. So it, it's it's easier to deliver because there's less resistance, because you're not highlighting the perpetrator or, or the survivor, in fact, even though we know statistically, even at second level, both will be in the classroom. But it is a way of delivering the learning in that non Direct way and it's very useful but it is a challenge so when we deliver the classes in ucc certainly in person in the early pilots it was always deliberately balanced mixed gender and even talking to the soccer club today you know the plan is is that once they've taken the online training we will have a male and female soccer club coming together for the workshop piece and we will split them up so that when they work in teams on scenarios they will hear the different voices and the different experiences and so just as Sinead has said that having just boys in a school or girls in a school they simply aren't aware of the experience of the others and also the interaction and then where are they learning how to interact from that's the other challenge i mean you know with the accessibility of porn and and, and other toxic materials if this is what they're seeing and also you know the the, the 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 speaking up of you know encounters and the version that they hear of what happened on a Saturday night, you know, can be far from the truth. But if this is what they're hearing rather than living it by engaging, you know, in a very regular way on a day-to-day basis, talking to girls and girls talking to boys, and realizing that they can have respectful relationships, that it doesn't begin on a sexual basis straight away. You know, as soon as they get to university, and there you go, you're in first year college. Out you go and have sex with somebody. You know, I'm not the sex police, and never will be. But what I need to know is that people know how to have respectful and consensual based um, sexual encounters with people. And the problem is, is that when I meet the first year students in UCC, it's too late for some of them. I, I have had students come to me. You've taken the training. You know, one particular story will always stay with me Um, a a girl who took the training with me in person. And after the fourth module, she emailed me late at night and said, Dear Louise, I hope you don't mind me emailing you, but I had to because after the class today, I realized now that at my deb six months ago, it wasn't my fault and I was raped. And she had lived with that for six months, had told no one, came home and hid her bloody dress and uh, lived with it silently for six months. And when she, I, we met the next day in person, and I got counselling for her. And every now and again, I bump into her. One time, I bumped into her in a shop; she was working there, and she said it changed her life because I remember a couple of months after we first spoke, she came into my office and said, "I wanted you to know that last night I told my mom and my two best friends." And you know, so this kind of education it goes beyond teaching people to be pro-social bystanders; it speaks to the fundamental lack of knowledge and education and understanding that young people but can i also say people right through the the, the whole all the way all through um society either have misconceptions or simply are ignorant of fundamental facts of uh consent um and their rights and um criminal acts of sexual harassment and violence goes back to my original point and that gap is there at second level absolutely and whatever form it takes we need to get that learning into second level irrespective of what the school might make up might be at the time whether it's boys girls or mixed we need to have an opportunity for real language reflecting life in 2022, what their experiences are. You know, the old curriculum is not good enough. And when we did pilot this in 2019 in schools in Cork, one of the, the, the major feedbacks was, thank you, this is our lives. The scenarios reflect what happens. You know, we weren't shying away from the fact that teenagers were having sex and the types of sex they were having and the types of things they were doing with their phone and what they were accessing online. We were having those real conversations supported can i say by some brilliant teachers who were willing to be brave and bring those conversations to the classroom and that's what we need but those teachers need to be supported and i'm so i'm working on a pilot in that um, and i have to say since wednesday and my work being made more um high profile on twitter and other social media platforms I am inundated from schools across the country. That's great. Can you please bring this to our school? Our students need this. We I got an email today. Could we start it as soon as possible? We want to have these conversations, but we need the support and we need the information.
2: Yeah, and, you know, I'm proud to know uh, quite a few teachers in my own personal life, Sinead, and I get the impression that teachers are desperate for this to be in secondary schools. You know, that... that that this is not a thing that will be foisted upon teachers as is often the case but that will that the teachers will drive this that that it will it will be a bottom-up thing as opposed to a top-down yeah
0: and i think after this week as well parents will understand because i think sometimes parents can be a barrier not individual but you know there can be a sense of you know my my johnny or my josie isn't ready for this or you know well my johnny or my josie has nothing to do with this so i they don't need it whereas i think maybe after this week there will be it'll be a bit harder maybe for parents to object to these things happening in a school setting and not just being left to a home setting
2: and i think you know it's it's impossible to to try and end on a on a positive note after the week we've had but cultures do change you know that like it is possible that if that you know, we've seen it happen with 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 drink driving, with smoking in pubs. I mean, you know, this is a more entrenched problem than either of those. And and, but- and
0: also things that were unacceptable ten or were acceptable ten years ago are now unacceptable. So we we will see change. One thing I did just want to mention as well, and I touched on it briefly earlier when I was talking about the Arbery case that you took, guys did the podcast on last week. I think as um, white women as well that we have to recognise that. Um, there's experiences that we need to account for as well in communities that maybe we um could do better on so you know when we're talking about freedom of of running um and it's difficult for women is it even more difficult for women of color is it even more difficult for fat women is it um you know what are the experience of traveler women if they try and get into spaces of exercise and sport so i think there are questions that that we can ask ourselves as well. So while we're asking men to do some of that work, we can, we, we should be talking about that with people who have different experiences to, to our experiences. Um, And I just wanted to touch on that just Mm. in case um, it it was something that hadn't been um, expressed by me on on the podcast well enough.
4: Yeah. I think it's so important that we have this opportunity today to talk to you both on second captains, because um, I I don't want the message to be in any way threatening or um, aggressive or accusatory, the message ultimately is, you know, we can make this happen, we can make the cultural change. There is a will, I really believe there's an appetite for change, and it's just everybody heading in the same direction, wanting a better society, and knowing that to make that happen, we all have a role to play
3: isn't Professor Louise Crowley thanks so much for chatting to us today uh, it's great to hear there's so much interest from the students and also from schools and clubs and, and that a lot of people are it, it seems interacting with your course in a in a new way so that's great don't break down our website now yeah. don't crash <laughs> your yeah, website yeah exactly and, <laughs> but get in and touch and congrats hoping you hoping you arrival most importantly is settling in, in nicely so thanks so much for talking to us
4: thank you thanks a million that was great
1: So he's almost like having a second captain isn't he <laughs> second gap, first gap and whatever.
3: I think now is a good time to bring forward my usual weekly thank you to you guys for supporting the World Service and for facilitating conversations like that one. If you have any thoughts you'd like to put down on paper about what you've heard, you can pop us an email to editor at secondcaptains.com. If you've been affected by some of these issues we've talked about today, there are plenty of support services out there, the likes of womensaid.ie, mensaid.ie, e, for starters. Uh, the latest news on the Guard investigation is is that a man in his 30s has been arrested on suspicion of the murder of Ashling Murphy and is being held at Tullamore Garda Station. And that's the latest at uh, time of recording. Once again, we'd like to offer our condolences to everyone who knew Ashling, friends, family and everybody in her life. Thanks for listening to today's show. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thank Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Take care. We'll talk tomorrow. What's
1: is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain. World service.